Please follow in the reading of the Holy Word of God. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who is in need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you have sealed to the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also forgave you. told you that when I first started this book, I knew it would have a widowing effect. It would uh, separate. Okay? There are many times when we look at Scripture and we see the do's and the don'ts. Most of you, when you think about the Ephesians, the things I'm supposed to do is love my wife as Christ loved the church. My wife is to be submitted to me. My children are to honor me. I'm supposed to be a good employee or a good employer. And we know all of these things. But we're going to step into a nasty one today. And I've been praying for you guys for about two weeks on this. Okay? So before I begin... I would like to give you the Apostle Paul's prayer as we look at the Word of God. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working and the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, whom we when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. You're going to need that. I told you that this book is divided in half. Three chapters tell me my position in Christ. What every Christian is. Okay? Because of my position in Christ, the last three chapters tell us how that looks. Okay, in everyday life. Now, a lot of this, we look through it and we say, yeah, okay, I got it, I got it, no problem. This text is very difficult. Very, very difficult. Remember I told you 
We set the stage with this section with we are to put off the old, we are to put on the new. Okay? Why? You are a new creation. Let me give you an idea about that. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Okay, so what blessing are you missing? Okay, verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Then we are holy and blameless in love. Verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons. Do you ever think about that? You're in the family of God. Every one of you. Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intentions of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Does your life exude praise to God for His glory? That's what you are in Christ. Which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. How about verse 7? In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of His grace. You get that? You know what the word according means? You notice it's not out of. It is according to the riches of His grace. You see the difference? According to the... What is the breadth, the depth, and the height of God's grace? That's yours. It's not out of. Eight and nine. I love this word. Which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insights, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intentions, which he purposed in him. Verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. Ever think about that? What does God own? That's his, that's your inheritance. Okay, that's happened already, people. I'm not waiting on it. Having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Verse 13. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Do you understand what is being said here? 
This is every child of God. You're not trying to attain to any of this. This happens instantaneously at the moment of your salvation. Verse 14. Who is given, Holy Spirit, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. That's just part of what we've dealt with. There's another whole chapter. Another chapter and a half. And then a prayer that you guys get it. That we get it. Do you understand this? I read you the prayer that came right after this. That the eyes of your heart would be opened and that you would understand this. We are a new creation. So, we put off the old... And we put on the new. Remember, chapter 4 started with, you would walk worthy of your calling. All right? And then he went through and he explained that you've got the old and you've got the new. Put on the new, put off the old. Now listen, brothers and sisters, I love you, but a lot of you try to put the new on over the old. And you wonder why you look good, but you smell bad. Okay? You have to put off the old and put on the new. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness, Paul told the church in Colossae. So what does this specifically look like? Verse 25, we looked at this. We moved from lying to speaking truth. You know what that means? I don't let my pride get in the way of the things that I'm struggling with when it comes to sharing with a believer. That's the simplicity of it. You know, if I'm hurting, I'm going to tell you I'm hurting. Okay? You know, I told, I was speaking in Sunday school class. In Russia, if they ask you, how are you doing? It had better be about a three paragraph answer. Or they feel offended. Because if they feel like they've taken the time to ask you, how are you? then you should take the time to truthfully respond to the question. Interesting concept, isn't it? That's the way it should be in the body of Christ. We be, should be holding each other accountable. How's your walk? How you doing with that? How you doing with that struggle thing that you shared with me a week ago? That's speaking the truth. Why? Because I don't need a lie. I don't need somebody who hates life, wants to give up on everything, wants to shake their fist at everything, and is mad about everything, and contentious about everything, and backbiting about everything, to sit there and say, I'm doing great. People ask me, how are you doing? I tell them, I'm having a blast. They never ask me, what does that mean? It means everything around me is exploding. How about you? How you doing? That's speaking the truth. Second thing we looked at, unrighteous anger to righteous anger, verses 26 and 27. I shared with you, there's only one time you're allowed to be angry. When you're defending God. When it comes to you, so what? 
you know what? You don't deserve anything. Yet you have, I've shown you, you have an inheritance. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. So why don't you hang out with that and quit worrying about what people call you? Or what people, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I had somebody come who had left here in anger. And they knocked at the door and I was like, I opened the door and was like, this is going to be good. I was waiting for the normal. I want you to, I love you, but I need to share something because that's normally how they do it. He didn't say that. He reached out his hand. He says, I ask your forgiveness. For what? He said, I judged you. And I'm sorry. Interesting concept. But that's the new creation that moves from unrighteous anger to righteous anger. Righteous anger is I'm defending God. But he also says, don't let the sun go down on it. When you have sin in your life with your anger, confront it and repent. Don't let it fester. Third thing we looked at, we moved from stealing to sharing. It's interesting here. I work so I can give it away. Okay? We used to steal. Fudge our time at work. Or maybe instead of getting put a whole hour in. You know, have you ever seen people, have you ever worked in a situation where people would spend all of their time avoiding doing anything? Wonderful people. I've worked with them before. They drive you nuts. I mean, it almost takes more energy to do nothing. But you got to keep moving, I guess. But the text says you work so you can help those in need. I work my overtime for what? Buy a generator for a school in Tiedemann, Burma. Really? Or is it vacation? Or is it I seen a new bobble that I must have? Okay? This is the new creation. This is the new that we have put on. All right. Now there's another change. I'm not going to get through this today. I'm going to uh, have to deal with verse 29. Okay. It's an interesting text. And depending on your translation, it can be... In verse 29, this is a revised New American Standard. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Okay? The word in the original language, some of your translations may say corrupt. Let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth. Okay? The word means rotten. Okay, and it means uh, putrefied. Okay, it has to do with rotting anything. 
fruit, meat, whatever. It's very explicit. No corrupt speech. No rotten speech. Okay? Most of us would sit there and say, okay, copacetic, I got it. Yeah? This is very practical. Listen, you guys know where I, my background, or some of you do, my background. There is nothing that bothers me more than filthy communications. And that's one way you can translate this. It uh, Profanity, off-color. I, I personally do not like it because of my background. It's, a little, it's, it's sort of like a, there's a, being around smokers, there's nothing worse than an ex-smoker, right? Well, in the trades that I grew up in and worked through and what I did as a young man... Um, that language, that coarse, filthy speak just annoys me. And when I think about it, and I think about this, it's that corrupt that Paul used here. It's that rotten. It's The word literally means it's useless. It's worthless. It's diseased. Okay, now most of you are sitting there going, well, I'm not speaking disease. Okay? It smells. And you know what? When I hear these things, I realize that it doesn't do anything for anybody. And at some point, you get to where you don't even want to touch it. If you use the terminology Paul's using, let alone eat it. That kind of talk has no place in a Christian. I mean, not even dirty jokes. There's no place for it. The off-colored profanity, dirty stories, crude things. And some of you know that I've spent some, a lot of time with lost people and they all want to express themselves and they get these dirty jokes and they tell me them and I just stand there and look at them. And they're chuckling and all of a sudden it's like, he's not laughing. Nah, it's not funny. There's no place for this in the life of a Christian. We are new, remember? Like never before. Okay, so let me give you some ideas about this. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, verse 74, this is the third time they accused him of being a Galilee and had been with Jesus. Jesus was under arrest. And on verse 74, it says, the third time when he was accused, he began cursing and swearing. Okay, then he heard the rooster crow. And it says he wept. And shortly thereafter, if you take the harmony of the Gospels, you put Luke's across the top of it, you'll see that they walked Jesus across from 
Caiaphas is back to Annas. And as he's walking across the plaza, when Peter was cursing and swearing that he never knew him, the rooster crowed and Jesus turned and looked and made eye contact with Peter. How would you like that? Can you imagine? He told you that you would deny him three times and you conclude it with vulgar language and then you make eye contact with the creator of existence. You know what? I don't care who you are in this room, but there's not a one of you, me included, who does not have problems with their mouth. I can give you a Bible verse for it. James chapter 3. If you can take care of your mouth, you are a perfect man. So which one of you is perfect? Okay. Let me give you some help. The book of Psalms. Chapter 141, verse 3. You should probably mark this down and use it on a semi-regular basis, or maybe even more than semi-regular. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, and keep watch over the door of my lips. Ask yourself a question, brothers and sisters. Is Jesus Christ the doorkeeper of your lips? Because if he is, he'll be the one who determines what comes out. Remember, there's no place for this rotten communications, this corrupt, disgusting Filthy communication, or as this text says, unwholesome. Not even room for dirty innuendo. Okay? Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Killing all of the old things, put off filthy communications that come out of your mouth. There's no place for a believer. When people talk like that, it's obvious what's going on. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12? You should remember this. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Listen, at my age, the years that I have walked with my king, I have learned sometimes the hard way that you can tell a lot about somebody's heart by what comes out of their mouth. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you 
as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. In Romans chapter 3, speaks of the depravity of man. And what you find through there in the combination of the text is that the depravity of man starts on the inside and comes out of his mouth. And we are told to get rid of it. Okay? So you see the seriousness of what I'm trying to deal with? Okay. We don't want to hear it anymore. We're Christians. We're new creations. Born again. So, what are the features of the speech of the new man? It's three in our text. Okay, verse 29. We're going to put on the new, right? Put on the new. We're a new creature. We're getting rid of all the coarse stuff. Verse 29. But only such a word as is good for edification. See, that what we just went through is easy. Okay, yeah, I don't do dirty jokes no more. And I, the only time I cuss is when I hit my head on something or smash my thumb in the door or some of that other stuff. I've still got this jacked up finger. I didn't cuss because it hurt so bad I couldn't breathe. So it's just like, <laughs> okay, so you just, I would wanted to. I'm honest. It was just that there was no air left to produce profanity. Okay? He says here, the only words that we should use. Now listen carefully. Okay? Listen very, very carefully. Is the words for edifying. Edification. Now think about it. I don't want you to think about your spouse. I don't want you to think about your kids, co-workers or anything. I want you to specifically think about yourself. When we talk, okay, and if the Lord is keeping watch over our mouths, whatever comes out should build others up. Hmm. See, that's what edifying means. Think about your words. Are you tearing down? Or are you building up? Are your words in every situation encouraging? Strengthening? Do they spiritually edify the hearer? Are they spiritually positive? Are they strengthening the hearer's spirit? Making them stronger? Is that what happens when you talk? When people speak with you, 
do they feel strengthened and built up in Christ Jesus? Sure cuts down on the vocabulary, doesn't it? With our kids, with our spouses, with other believers, does it edify? Have you ever noticed we really want to point out the bad thing? Did you hear what happened to such and such? I saw them doing this and that. It's like that one joke I seen the lady in the church who was the self-righteous one. She told everybody what was going on in town. This old boy was coming to church, just started, drove an old beat-up pickup. And she came to church one morning. She says, I saw your truck parked outside of the bar in town. He didn't say nothing. He just walked out. That night, he took his truck and parked it in front of her house and walked home. Do your words strengthen? You ever notice how easy it is for us to tear people down? We get theology, we want to just wham! Gotcha! How's come you didn't know that? What's the matter with you? And that strengthens how? If they're a young believer, you're just going to pour it down on their heads and walk away and say, I can't believe you don't know that? Does our speech strengthen? Does our speech encourage? Okay? Second thing. It's there in verse 29. According to the need of the moment. Hmm. It fits the need. You know what that literally means in the original text? It is necessary. It is necessary. See, if we speak to build up and it's necessary, you know what is amazing about it? People want to be near us. If you're critical all the time, or bitter all the time, and yet I'm speaking truth, and if I didn't speak truth, it wouldn't be love. You know what? You're not going to get a whole lot of hearers. Because people struggle with sin like you don't. And they want encouragement. And they want to hear words that strengthen them. In Jesus Christ. And they want it when it's necessary. We have a tendency to be unnecessary. I've told this to people over and over. Two ears, two eyes, one mouth. There's something we should be doing twice as much of. And that ain't what we do. Okay? People who are strengthened by your speech and you use it when it's necessary. You know what? 
majority of the time that I've had to deal with situations, I never had to say a word. Just being there was all that was needed. But then there's a third thing. End of 29. I'm going to do it for edification. I'm going to do it when it's needed so that it will give grace to those who hear. It literally means to serve grace to the hearer. Lenski called it the feast of grace. When your speech is edifying and necessary, it is the speech of grace, a feast of grace. You ever thought about this? Sweetness in our words that bless. We can all be critical. We can be doctrinally critical. But is it going to bless anybody? Every time we open our mouths, it should be building up, fitting the need, and gracious. See, that's the new. See, the old was filthy. It was rotten. It was corrupt. It tears down. It lays bare. We are new creations. We have new hearts. Remember, out of the abundance of the new heart, we should come new speech. Let me give you an illustration. Luke's Gospel, or chapter 4, verse 22. And all were speaking well of him. This is Jesus. All were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? Anybody say that about you? Hey, listen, I know some unbelievers who have run into some Christians and they don't go to church because of the talk that came out of the Christian's mouth. They tell me that. I run into such and such and I run into such and such and I was was sitting there thinking, how would you like to go to heaven before the Lord Jesus Christ in his mercy seat and judgment and hear that some people didn't go to church because of your words? That don't sound like a good deal to me. When Jesus opened his mouth, grace came out. How about you? When you open your mouth, does grace come out? When Jesus spoke, it was edifying. It strengthened. It built up. It improved. And it was necessary 
and it's full of grace, unmerited favor. If you let the, remember Colossians 3.16? Okay. If you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, I try to get people, you know who, you guys know me. Read your Bible. Okay. Read your Bible. Okay. Well, I didn't have time. I slept in. Or I didn't sleep well. I couldn't see. Don't, I want to hear it. I only got one eye. Give me a break. No. Read your Bible. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why? So when you open your pie hole, words of grace that strengthen and are necessary come out. And if not, do me a favor. Shh. Don't say nothing. There's too many people in this town know who I am and know what I do. And I don't want to tell you how many times that they tell me that you guys are a reflection of me. And the times that they've said that, it wasn't a compliment. I was trying to defend. And all it is is our mouths. That's all it is. You know what? If you're having a bad day and you've had absolutely nothing go right, then just shut up. Okay? Because out of that will come blah, 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 blah. If the word of Christ dwells in you richly, when you open your mouth, guess what comes out? Strengthening when it's necessary and it's full of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when the Lord sets watch over your lips. I mean, have you ever seen couples? They love each other. They got the bloody eyes and I love you and I buy you flowers and all the rest of it. And have you ever heard some of the other conversations? Your speech will be guarded by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it will edify. It will come when necessary. And it will be gracious. Okay? Everybody's got it now, right? Colossians tells me that my speech should be seasoned with salt. Remember what I said the word was there? Unwholesome? Corrupt? Rotten? What prevents it? Salt. Salt is a preservative. Listen, there is a whole bunch of rot in our world, is there not? Have you heard the language that is spoken? All over the place. All kinds of kind words, aren't there? 
Well, there's kind of words. There's rot in this world. And guess what? You, me, we are the salt for it. That's why when I told you, you don't get angry. Why? The world gets angry. The world is angry. I don't get angry. Why? I'm the preservative. I come in and try to help. Be gracious. Be pleasant. Use the words of Jesus Christ. I don't have to judge people. I know who does. And the rumor has it, he's got it down to an art. So all I do is try to encourage. It's what you should be doing. You should be encouraging. It is easy for us to tear down, is it not? And it, when you do that, I, all I want you to think is, I still got that smelly old suit on, don't I? Instead of putting my good one on. When you talk, are you part of the corruption? Are you part of the rot? Or do you stop the corruption? Act as a preservative. So you got an option. You can either be salt or you can be rot. Okay? Something to think about. Because I want you to read in the context of Ephesians, what does it say next in the same sentence? I know it's got a different verse on it in verse 30, but what does it say? It's still the same sentence. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you ever think about that for a second? Let that rattle around. My language, my conversation can grieve the Holy Spirit. I'll deal with that next week. Listen, brothers and sisters, I fought with this thing for a few weeks. I knew what it said. It convicted me deeply. I pray that it convicted some of you. But I want you guys to stop for just a second. I want you to bow your heads before the throne of God. And repent if your mouth has been unguarded and beg that he guard your mouth. Please pray. Merciful King, gracious Lord, loving Creator, we thank you for forgiveness. Father, I beg you'll forgive our mouths. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of His Spirit would guard us. Watch over our lips. Father, help us. I beg you. 
Help us to be speakers that strengthen, speak only when necessary, and be full of grace. That is not our nature, Lord. So I look forward to watching the Spirit of the living God change us to you, my King. I beg you, help us. In Christ's name.